Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. Today, we'll be interviewing Tim Redman, the Executive Director of the Stroke Recovery Association of British Columbia and professor at the UBC School of Rehabilitation Sciences in the Faculty of Medicine. He was also appointed as Senior Manager for Stroke Recovery with the March of Dimes in Canada. Welcome, Tim. But you have a very impressive list of things that you have done and that you do. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and I guess even how you got involved more with stroke. I trained as an occupational therapist in England back in the last century and um, I worked clinically in psychiatry and then I got into student education so I was teaching students who wanted to become occupational therapists. Um, When I emigrated to Canada in the late 80s I took a position which was shared between the Vancouver General Hospital and the University of British Columbia. And I was involved in um, student field work as well as in um, supervising clinical staff. And then I left uh, the hospital after about 10 years and decided to go back to my first love, which is music. But in doing that, I also continued to do consulting work and I found myself working in the nonprofit sector with a number of healthcare charities. Um, I got involved in a lot of um, work such as board development, uh, organizational development. Um, And that led me to eventually be approached by the Stroke Recovery Association of BC Uh, to work with them and that resulted in me eventually becoming their executive director. Okay so um, in the time that you've been involved in all of this what kind of changes have you seen in stroke recovery and stroke therapy uh, any of that? I think the most important change has been the realization that it is possible to recover from a stroke, that recovery doesn't happen just in a very small window of time after a stroke, but that the opportunity for recovery is continuous um, and that there is always hope and there is always life after stroke. So we know that um, every stroke is different and every person is different. We know that, unfortunately, some people die as the result of a stroke. We know that some people are left with um, significant levels of disability. But we also know that the majority of people um, recover. And if, if they have the opportunity to do the right things, then they have the opportunity then to recover to their maximum potential. I um totally appreciate that and I totally understand that there are so many people um that have had strokes and they're not given um 
a positive outlook on it. They're like, oh, you know, you'll do your recovery in a year to 18 months and that's it. Well, I know personally that five and a half years down the road, I still make progress. I still try new things to see what else is going to work. And I think stroke survivors especially, but I think everyone needs to understand that we can still make recovery years down the road if you just keep trying. And it isn't even that you have to try new things, I guess. You just keep trying and keep so that your, I guess, your muscles remember what you're doing and, and they then will continue maybe to progress at that point. So I, I guess the, the other part of this is I know that 20, 30 years ago, stroke survivors were just sent home and not really given a whole lot of therapy or anything. And for me, I see now that we do get more therapy, but I think we need even more therapy than what we're allowed. Do you do more therapy for people or do you do other things within that? Or do you set goals for people? What kind of information do you or your groups put out about stroke? All of our information is really based around long-term stroke recovery in the community. Um, we like to say that the hospitals do a really good job of saving people, but our job is to bring people back to life. And life isn't just about surviving, life is about having quality of life. So we like to focus on two main areas. One is quality of life and the other one is independence. Um, we have limited resources. We're quite a small organization. Um, where we can and where we do have the resources, we do provide therapy. Um, we might have uh, speech-language pathologists working on people's communication. We might have occupational therapists working on people's daily activities um, and their function. We might have physiotherapists working on exercise and mobility. Uh, but it depends. We have 30-odd programs spread throughout the province of BC and those of you who've ever looked at a map of Canada will realize that BC is huge. And so there are a lot of uh, very remote and rural areas. So um, being able to get the programs out there is a challenge and not all programs are equal. So there is a variety of, of options that are available. But as time goes on, we're trying to figure out how can we get the tools, resources and information to people and so we've spent quite a lot of time developing our website and developing video. Um, what we've done is we've come up with what we call the seven steps to stroke recovery and the reason we did that was because we were always being asked well what is stroke recovery because people wanted to talk to us about different types of stroke and different medical interventions and you know our message was we don't deal with that. The people we help are people who've already had a stroke. What we're concerned with is what can you do in your day-to-day -day life going forward that will improve your chances of recovery? And so we identified seven areas and we focus on those areas and, and create information 
um, that we hope will get people started in the right direction. Uh, if you're lucky enough to live in a place where we have a program, then you can come along um, and participate uh, in what we have to offer. But obviously, we don't have the resources to have a program in every community at this point. Okay. How do you um, think occupational therapy has excuse me, evolved over the last few years? I, I realize that, um, you know, therapy for stroke survivors has, has it's in itself evolved, but how has the, the particular occupational therapy evolved? I think occupational therapy as a discipline has changed a very great deal. Uh, when I trained, there was still quite a lot of emphasis on using um, artistic activities, craft activities, um, whereas I think it's got, it's got more focused on neurological and biomechanical things. So, um, you know, we see more splinting and positioning and wheelchair functioning, seating. Um, and then the neurodevelopmental stuff is about helping people recover their movement based upon developmental principles, which, which essentially means following the pattern that uh, you have in normal human development. So um, there's a more uh, structured scientific basis to what we do in occupational therapy now. Um, there are a lot more master's level programs, a lot more PhD level programs, and a lot more research going on. So I think that um, the idea of helping people to be able to resume their occupation, but by that we don't mean the job, like in the normal use of the occupation, we mean all the different activities that make up who you are as a person. So that could be work vocation it could be child rearing it could be hobbies interests what we what we've become very focused on is what does a person value what is a person interested in and what is what is it that motivates a person and if we can get inside that then i think we can help people um, to find the key to their own progress and their own development do you um, have or do you see that there's a uh, special or, or not special, that there's a common misunderstanding about stroke out there and, and stroke recovery? Yeah, there's a lot of what I would call myths about stroke and stroke recovery. Um, people think that stroke only happens to old people, years, uh, <laughs> people over 80. Uh, where we know it affects everybody from infants and even even in some cases babies before they're even born all the way through the life cycle. Um, people have, think that stroke ends your life. Once you've had a stroke, that's it, you're done, you can't do anything else. Um, and, you know, that's not true because there are some people walking around who've had strokes where you wouldn't even know that had a stroke because they don't have any visible physical signs of stroke. Um, and I think that um, 
people don't realize that stroke is preventable, that if you uh, do the right things, um, you know, exercise regularly, eat the right foods, don't smoke, limit your alcohol and caffeine intake, those sorts of things that you can't completely avoid stroke because sometimes it happens to people who are super fit, but you can certainly reduce the chances of it happening. So, and I think the realization that once a person's had a stroke, it's possible to manage that in such a way that, you know, what we like to say is you'll never be the same again. You will be different, but different doesn't necessarily mean worse. And one of my favorite questions, which has never failed, is every person I've talked to who's had a stroke, and I'll ask them the question, is your life better in any way since you had your stroke? Everybody always says yes. And the reason for that, they're not saying, oh, I'm so glad I had a stroke, it's fantastic. Clearly, that would be silly. What they are saying is, it doesn't mean that your life ends and everything's horrible. What it means is I might not be able to do the things I used to do, but I have been able to build up a new life. And some of the aspects of my new life I actually prefer. People will say things like, I've learned to slow down. I've learned to stop and smell the roses. I've learned to appreciate my children or grandchildren. I've learned to take time I'm more patient with people. So what we find is that there's a change in the way that a person lives their life. Um, some of that is enforced and some of it sucks, but some of it is uh, actually more enjoyable than uh, the person's previous life. Oh my gosh, I do totally understand all of that. Um, I tell people I'm still me, but I'm not me. I didn't like the new me for a long time, but I've learned she's pretty awesome. I think it's great. Um, and I know many people don't think that. Um, they, they look at, you know, I can't walk or, you know, I don't walk well or my arm doesn't work or my brain doesn't function. Well, I've got all of that, but... You know, I am so much more than that. And life is different, but it's okay to be different. Um, you know, and I love that, that you're embracing that also. I think it's wonderful. Um, and more people need to hear things like this. I think that, you know, it, life doesn't necessarily suck. Yeah, okay, so I can't run a 5K, but I've gotten on an adult tricycle and I can bike my way to, you know, whatever. It took me a while to be able to do that, but I can do that. So yes, I thank you for that. Um, so um, moving on to other things, you also were um, on the, I may get this wrong, but the caregivers uh, executive director was uh, something about caregivers. I'm trying to find my, my I, little... I worked for the Caregivers Association of BC. Okay. Um, and that organization has evolved and developed, but it's still there. And that was really interesting because the focus was on supporting caregivers, supporting 
family members, neighbours, friends who help a person who has an illness or disability. And of course, the caregivers are such an important part of our healthcare system, and yet they're unpaid and their work isn't always recognised. The focus of the Caregivers Association was to realise we must support our caregivers because if we help our caregivers to stay healthy, then those caregivers can continue to give support and help to their loved ones. If we don't support our caregivers, then our caregivers get sick, and now we've got two sick people to worry about. So, um, And certainly that's continued in stroke recovery because one of the key things that we do in the organization is to um, help caregivers and, and look at the need for uh, caregiver support. Um, the things that caregivers need, we always say the three R's, we say respite, so like some kind of break. Uh, we say recognition, just acknowledgement that they're doing what they're doing and how important it is, and respect that the caregiver is a very important part of the healthcare team. Um, and so one of the things that interested me about Stroke Recovery Association is that the caregiver piece isn't an afterthought. They've always said right from the beginning that they're there to support stroke survivors, but they're also there to support caregivers. Yes, I, I found caregivers don't get enough of your three R's. Um, and it is very difficult um, on them, uh, especially for respite, uh, respite. And, um, you know, that's one of the big things here that, that I've heard. Um, respect also, but I just recently read um, a caregiver did a posting, and basically she was saying, you know, I take care of my husband. I've been doing it for, you know, a year or two or whatever. And she said, people always ask him how he's doing, but no one asks me how I'm doing. I'm taking care of him. I'm, you know, cooking and cleaning and doing all this. And, you know, I never really, I mean, I've always known that caregivers didn't get recognition, but with her actually saying all this, you know, she said in the beginning people did kind of ask her, but now they don't. It's like they've forgotten that this involves her also. And yeah. not that she wants it taken away from her husband, but she wants somebody to say, hey, honey, are you okay? Um, you know, can I come over and stay for an hour while you run out or, you know, whatever it is. And I hear this in stroke support groups also. So how do you think we get this to them? Well, I, I think that... Um it's a question of education largely. I think we need to make sure that people understand uh, how important it is that the caregiver gets a break, that the caregiver gets that acknowledgement so that they can keep doing what they do. Because um, the healthcare system simply doesn't have the resources to provide everything that it needs to provide. You know, we're, we're no longer in the era where we're just treating infectious diseases, curing them and sending people home. The healthcare crisis that we have is to do with the amount of long-term chronic diseases that we have, things like stroke, things like cancer, things like heart problems, uh, Parkinson's disease, those kinds of long-term 
issues. If there's one thing that I think we need to get better at, it's one thing to say, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help? That's great. But what's better is to do something. Here, I made you a meal. There it is. I have brought you some flowers. I have made an arrangement for you to go to the spa for a day and for somebody else to um, be with your loved one during that time. So, so I think we need to help people to get beyond um, saying supportive things and towards doing supportive things. Uh, I'm, I'm going to come round and dig your garden. I'm going to come round and trim your hedge. I'm going to come round and wash your car. Because that kind of help and support has a real practical value. And it also reinforces that you care. Okay. So um, what is your mission in all of this? Or, or maybe a different part of this question is, what is your passion about looking into this, about working with stroke survivors, about the, the whole full circle of it. Is, is there, what motivates you to do this? Well, going back to my days in occupational therapy and training students, um, one of the things that I think occupational therapists have always been very good at right from the beginning of the profession is creatively coming up with ways of helping people to be independent and have a better quality of life, whether that's been through inventing gadgets or uh, prescribing equipment or figuring out techniques. How do you do something if you've only got one hand? How do you make a sandwich for yourself? Those kinds of things. So my passion in all of this is to say, you know, people don't realize that we actually know how to help somebody recover from a stroke. The problem we have is that the therapy that it takes is really expensive and hard to come by because we don't train enough speech language pathologists. We don't train enough occupational therapists. We don't train enough physiotherapists. And like in Canada, it's like 150 bucks an hour or whatever to get the service. So, I think we need to take that, those skills and I think we need to get those experts to train other people to be able to do aspects of what they do so that we can help more people. I'm not suggesting that a speech language pathologist can be replaced by a volunteer, but I am suggesting that a good speech language pathologist can train 10 volunteers and those 10 volunteers can be better at communicating with a person with aphasia. Okay. So I think we need to spread the wealth and that's really my passion to say, I wish everybody who had a stroke had access to all the rehab services that they need because I know that it would make a difference. Um, I see a lot of people who can't use one of their arms as well as they could. And I know if that person could just get that daily therapy, I'm sure that their range of motion would improve. I'm sure that their function would improve. That would improve their independence and that in turn would improve their quality of life. So um, 
and you know i think we have to get creative i don't think we can sit around and wait for there to be another million occupational therapists because it's going to take forever so i think we need to be creative and think of new ways that we can get that information to the people who need it absolutely i um you know once my therapy ended it's it is expensive it's horribly expensive so once it ended i had to get creative on my own and so i found like archery lessons you know for five dollars i took my granddaughter with me and we did archery together not only was i it, it motivated me to go because i was with her but it also then worked my right arm which was the my my um weaker arm um, you know, or I did, I tried yoga, didn't quite work. Then I tried it again a couple of years later and, you know, it's not pretty, but I did it and it was free. So, you know, I, I found some ways of uh, supporting my recovery without having to spend a lot of money. Now, a lot of people can't do that. It depends on what area you're in and, and what um, is available. But, um, yeah, just even to have a volunteer to say, you know, let's do your exercises today. They may not be um, trained, you know, uh, gone, have gone to school or anything, but sometimes it's that little motivation that you know that this person is going to come to you or that you're going to go wherever they are and, and do your exercises or, you know, however that is. I would love to see things like this. Yeah, and, and I think that there there are a lot more resources than people realize. So, you know, what we're trying to do is to connect people with those resources and um, find ways of delivering service in the community. One of the things that we've done over the last couple of years is we've started a walking program in shopping malls. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the shopping mall opens before the stores open. So the few of the coffee places are open, but the mall is open. So we've cut a deal with the mall ma management to have a group. And uh, it rains a lot up in BC. So you want somewhere covered. You want somewhere with a nice flat surface. And then people can get together for an hour in the morning, have a coffee, walk, where they can practice their walking, improve their walking, set themselves targets. And that's a really simple way of bringing people together, helping them with their exercise, helping them socialize and helping them with their confidence and their ability to be independent in the community. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. I mean, we, we probably spend, I mean, I'm ballpark in it here but we'll probably spend about five thousand bucks canadian a year on one program which is like small money really in the grand scale of things so as time goes on i would like to see a lot more of these kinds of simple community-based programs that just require um somebody to coordinate things and some trained volunteers and then the, the healthcare professionals, the rehab professionals can provide oversight, supervision, consultancy, but the program can run inexpensively. So the, there's that walking program, there are the idea of doing conversation cafes with groups. So working with 
brain injury associations, stroke recovery associations, stroke foundation societies, you know, and trying to uh, find ways of delivering these programs, which is why we've partnered with March of Dimes Canada, because they are a Canada-wide organization, and they've, with our partnership, we've got a gateway now to open up and they've really helped us to expand and develop. And uh, a lot of the programs we're doing in British Columbia, they're now starting to replicate in Ontario, in Alberta, uh, and in Manitoba. So, you know, we've been gradually being able to expand uh, through that way of doing things. Otherwise, what happens is that the professionals have the information and then this tiny percentage of people who can afford them get the therapy and everyone else is out of luck. And that doesn't seem fair to me. Right. Well, and it's not. And, and, but unfortunately, I guess that's the way it, it is. Um, unless you uh, know how to reach out to different organizations or different areas. Um, but I'm, again, fortunate with where I live. We already have mall walkers. Um, but it's not specifically for, um, uh, you know, stroke or, or any other type of um, uh, person who, who has a disability, but it's, it is here and it's something that they open like and two hours or something before the, the mall itself opens. And, and it's wonderful to be able to go when it's raining or snowing or, or whatever it's doing. We also are fortunate in this area to have um, a group called Cafe Aphasia right. and uh, yeah and so they all get together and talk um, or socialize which is huge again in stroke recovery because some just go home and and they don't think they think they're alone and yes. so these are these are programs that are here and it sounds like you have those then there or different uh, uh, ways that people can uh, interact, which is which is wonderful, and and that. So, what would you like to tell uh, specifically to a caregiver or a survivor or a therapist at this point? Are there is there something specific that just kind of hits you that that you think they need to know? I think the, the, at the most simple level, it is that there is life after stroke and, and really understanding what that means, um, that people can find fulfillment, that they can experience quality of life, that they can improve their level of independence. However, for that to be the case, for there to be life after stroke, people need support, they need information, they need tools, they need resources. And so uh, from the perspective of Stroke Recovery Association of BC, we really want to share what we have. That's why the website's there, that's why all of our information is free to download, all the videos are there for people to use. And we want to be part of a, a global community that shares information and ideas and resources we want to get beyond the medical aspects of stroke and focus on the biggest and most important piece 
which is the rest of your life. Like all the money and all the prestige and everything is crammed into that tiny little acute piece. And it's like, okay, I get it. Like I'm not, I'm not uh, saying that that piece isn't important. It's really important to save people's lives. It's really important to get them to hospital. They get the clot busting drugs to get the surgery, whatever the thing is. But you know where I come from, I just go, well, like what's the point in doing all of that? if you're not going to think the rest of the life after that. So that's the piece that hasn't got the attention. That's the piece that maybe hasn't got the funding. That's the piece that maybe hasn't got the prestige. But there's two things to recognize about it. The first thing is that it's the longest period of time by a long way. Like we support people not just for years, but for decades. And the second thing to recognize, which I think everybody should pay attention to, is it provides the biggest potential for cost saving to the healthcare system. Because if you have people who are having a better quality of life, then you avoid things like isolation, like depression, like loss of mobility, like failure to thrive, loss of appetite, all of these things that can happen to a person. And by avoiding those things, you avoid the need for increased hospitalization. So it's not rocket science, it's common sense. Common sense that if you help people have a better quality of life, you reduce the burden on the healthcare system. Politically, we need more clout in that area because the power is where the money is, and the money is in medicine, and the money is in high-powered medical interventions, and the public still want to believe in the miracle cure. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. I mean, like, do what you want. I, I kind of don't have time for that. I'm much more interested in a down-to-earth, community-based approach that says people, as human beings, deserve the chance. We know how to do it, let's get on with it, and let's put a few resources there. If you gave me $10,000, I could do a lot with that kind of money. Um, because if we use our community centers, if we use volunteerism, if we combine our resources, we can make a little go a long way. We're not asking for a miracle cure. We're not asking for the wonder drug. We're not asking for billions of dollars of research. We're asking for some help, some support, some money, some common sense. And let's do what we know works. Let's help the brain through neuroplasticity heal itself by doing the right things, having some exercise, having some communication, having some socialization and recreation, helping people know what the resources are in their local community, supporting caregivers. If we do those simple things, then we can really reduce the burden on the healthcare system and we can help more people have a better quality of life. Beautifully said, really. Uh it's so true uh, because being social, being active, being continuing to move, whatever it, you just are better prepared mentally and physically. And if you can get that, 
then you're right. You will be better prepared to be healthier, happier, you know, all of that. So I hope at some point we get there or at least it gets better to, you know, on the road to recovery, to a better life as we go forward. Yeah, I think the most important voice in all of this is the voice of the stroke survivor. I think people like me can talk. I mean, I could talk all day. You probably realize that already. (laughs) But, you know, talk is cheap. And and coming from a person like peer support, having other stroke survivors around that people can use as role models uh, is one of the reasons why it's it's really important that we have uh, organizations that... Uh, bring people together in that way. So one other question I have for you, you said at one point that you left what you were doing and you went back to do something that you really loved music. So just tell me about that just real quick about what you were doing with music or is that, were you in a band? Did you, I was actually a musician before I did anything else. I started playing professionally when I was 15 years old. So it's something I've always done and I've always kind of flip-flopped between uh, my professional career and music. Uh, So I came to a point in my life where I had an opportunity to go on the road with a band and I did that. So um, I performed really between about 96 and 2010, which is about 14 years, I was still doing some rehab work and some consulting, but most of my time was spent uh, playing live music and recording. Um, I play guitar and sing, and I've been involved in a lot of Celtic music, a lot of English folk music, that kind of thing. Although I try my hand at anything, I I love all different types of music. So now that I've gone back to working a full-time job, music has become a bit more of a sideline. But I'm still pretty active. I I do some uh, reviewing and writing for a magazine. I I write songs. I have um, uh, stuff up on YouTube. Yeah, I, I, I like to keep it active. And it's a good balance. You know, it's it's important to have an outlet. I love that not only that you have your professional uh, side, but that you have this creative kind of professional side too, because it just, we all need outlets no matter what we do. So, so I really want to thank you, Tim, for being here with us, for talking about some of the things you do, some of the uh, things that you would love to see done. It gives me hope uh, in talking to people like you that you know we don't sit still that we keep moving forward and that you as a professional see that um, we can because so many are told we can't yeah so I love this I I've loved talking to you if there's anything you would like to come back and talk about I'm all for that As we end here, I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed Tim's story about what he does and about what he hopes that he'll come back and and visit with us again maybe sometime. One thing before we leave, if someone's in British Columbia in Canada, um, how do they, what is your website? 
Can you give that to us? Yeah, it's nice and simple. It's srabc.ca. Okay. All right. So if anybody's in the British Columbia area and they, they are listening to us, that's a way to get a hold of, I guess, their web page where you can find some more information. So again, Tim, thank you for being with us on the Hand in Hand show here at Stroke Focus. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.